You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the podcast that thinks Coldplay is a sin, regardless of what Dan DiDio thinks. episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This, if you didn't know by now, is an internet radio show that's going to be covering the Green Lantern comics from cover date June 1990 all the way up to cover date November 2004 with the intention of promoting the two Green Lanterns, Kyle Rayner and Guy Gardner, over the other Green Lantern Corps, simply because I think these are the Green Lanterns who, through the comic medium, have gotten kind of a short shrift. What I hope to do with this podcast is basically promote these characters, especially in the case of Guy Gardner, who seems to constantly get misrepresented, and basically to celebrate the character of Kyle Rayner, who unfortunately has been sort of overshadowed since the return of Hal Jordan. They're both great characters in the comic medium, and over the course of this podcast, I'm going to try and spotlight them and give them the credit that they so duly deserve. However, this week, and probably over this next couple of weeks, we're not going to be focusing on Guy or Kyle. No, we're going to be focusing on the first, well, I guess not technically the first Green Lantern of Earth, since that was Alan Scott, but the first Green Lantern of the Silver Age, Hal Jordan. Today we're going to be covering the 1990s retelling of Hal Jordan's origin story in the awesome six-part miniseries Emerald Dawn. This was a great series that, unfortunately, I neglected to cover when I first started out the podcast. And if you didn't hear last time, basically Michael Bailey contacted me and asked me if I was going to cover Emerald on 2, to which I put serious thought to and decided that it would probably be in the best interest to cover it for this podcast. However, I didn't think that it would be prudent for me to cover Emerald on 2 without at least first going into Emerald Dawn since essentially Emerald Dawn 2 tells the tale of what happened to Hal Jordan after what happened in Emerald Dawn. I'm being kind of vague because I want to basically not really spoil the comic. I mean, there's not that much to spoil. It's a standard origin story, but it's a really great origin story. Now, at the beginning of the show, I've also poked fun at Dan DiDio and his comments about this run being kind of a sin, especially what they did to Hal Jordan, and I don't really see it that way. This was a great character-building story for Hal, and although I haven't read the Jeff Johns Secret Origin for Green Lantern, I doubt it could even compare to this one. This is a really quality story done by a great writing team and a great pair of artists to bring together what I think should be the definitive origin story of Hal Jordan. But, 
I'll be giving you an overview of the comic here in just a couple of minutes. Well, probably more just a couple of seconds. As I'm going to put a promo in here for another podcast you should probably be listening to. Well, not probably, you should definitely be listening to. And then after that, I'm going to come back with my synopsis and review of Animal Dawn Parts 4 through 6. So, stay tuned, and we'll catch you after the break. All the things that you do. Hey, kids, comics! Hey, Michael! Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. Watch our podcast. But you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Um, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. That's snappy. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast's about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics, that's true, that's good. Liking it, liking this pitch, carry on. Right, we talk about comics. We do, we talk about comics, we read comics, and then we talk about them, because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent, keep going. And then... We sing! Badly! Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? H's Comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com And welcome back. So, let's go ahead and get into Chapter 4, or if you're reading this not from the trade, like unlike me, uh, I guess book number 4 of Emerald Dawn, titled Decor, as in C-O-R-P-S. The plot for this one was by Keith Giffen, the script was Gerard Jones, penciler was M.D. Bright, inker Romeo Tancal, Letterer Albert de Guzman, colorer or colorist, sorry, Anthony Tolan, assistant editor Kevin Dooley, and editor was Andy Helfer. We open with a ring shielded Hal Jordan, flabbergasted that he survived the explosion. Side note, if you missed last issue, Hal tried to destroy Legion by blowing up Abensur's ship, which created a giant atomic explosion. A giant pink atomic explosion. There you have it. Thinking that he destroyed the yellow alien known as Legion, Hal asks the Ring if he can meet any other Green Lanterns. The Ring complies, and flies him off into space. Simultaneously, Legion is watching from Earth's moon, ready for round two of his fight. But Hal streaks off elsewhere, and Legion chases after him. After a quick trip through a meteor storm, Hal lands on a planet in the sector patrolled by Tomar Ray. The veteran lantern asks Hal to help him with the task of taking out some carnivorous walking grass, which Hal does with a ring construct lawnmower, only to find out that when one of the blades of grass is cut down, two take its place. After Tomar corrects the situation, he and Hal sit and chat about being a lantern until Tomar gets a signal to return to Oa. The two lanterns warp there and meet up with Salak who takes the duo to the Book of Oa. The book is essentially the expositional news network in written form, and tells the tale of the Tick-Tick, who were aggressive bugs, think Lokar from Space Coast, Coast to Coast, that the Guardians trapped on their homeworld with a Green Lantern-based force field. After the plot exposition is over, Hal and Tomar talk about what it means to be a Lantern, 
Hal is willing to accept his responsibilities, but he asks Tomar for one more favor. At the funeral for Andy, Jack, Carol, Biff, and Dee wonder where Hal is. As the trio leaves Jack by himself, Jack is visited by a green, glowing image of Hal, telling him that he's sorry for missing the funeral and he won't be, that he won't be around for a while. Just as conflicted Carol returns to speak with Jack, Hal's image disappears before she can see what is going on. But Hal's troubles aren't over yet, as he's introduced to his Green Lantern instructor, Kilowog. After a compressed training montage, Hal returns to his room to get some much-needed rest. But he is soon awakened by an alarm, sounding that Oa's defenses have been breached by Legion. I think last time I mentioned that uh, this story does kind of follow the typical Joseph Campbell hero's journey tale, and in this episode, or this issue, we get the training sequence, where the hero learns how to utilize his skills to basically combat the enemy that he's going to have to face at the end of the tale. It's also a great way to introduce the rest of the Green Lantern Corps, characters like Kilowog and Salak and Tomoray, characters that, you know, from the Silver Age everyone knew, and you're going to get to know a bit more of now that the ongoing comic is running. So with that, let's hit the notes. Let's go first to page 5, panel 2. We get a shot of Hal in the foreground with a lantern approaching him in the background, and we come to see that this lantern is the Zudarian sort of fish-head alien Tomar Ray, and Tomar muses that uh, he won't bite him, and he thinks that Hal is actually uh, Abin Sur, the former owner of the Green Lantern Ring. Now, why he thought it was Abin Sur, looking at him from the backside, and the fact that Abin didn't have hair and was redskinned, I was, I'm kind of wondering if Tomar was just looking at Hal's butt and thinking, my, that's a fine butt, and it looks like Abin's butt, and Maybe maybe Tomar can't actually distinguish differences in alien butts. I'm sorry. It's juvenile. I just felt like using the word butt quite often. Page 6, we get Hal really not thinking ahead. You've got these giant walking blades of grass, and you know Tomar is supposed to take care of them. So what's Hal's first idea? Oh, let's make a giant ring construct lawnmower and just cut them down that way. Unfortunately, he finds out that, you know, once you cut one down, much like Hydra, two more take its place. So, Hal basically showing his inexperience and showing that sometimes he may not, may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer. Page 9. It is amazing the number of yellow buildings that they have on planet Oa. I mean, Pretty much everywhere, all of the buildings on the planet, including the building that houses the main battery in this issue, are colored yellow. I mean, do the Guardians do this just to mess with the Lanterns? Is this some way to test them to make sure that they have an idea of how to use their ring around the color yellow that doesn't involve them interacting with it? 
So basically, this might be just super dickery for the Guardians. Pages 12 and 13, you get the 1087th, and I don't know if that's a reference to some sort of number I should understand, but the 1087th achievement, basically the Book of Oa telling the Lantern Slock, Tomar Ray, and Hal Jordan about the Tick-Tick, the alien bug race that was basically sort of imperialistic expansionist who liked to conquer different planets, and eventually the Guardian said, well, we're not going to let you expand like this, so they decided to make a giant green bubble around their planet, which they couldn't get out of. So, basically, the Guardians decided to trap these aliens in basically a Green Lantern-powered sphere that they would never be able to get out of. So, I don't know why these aliens would be in any way harboring ill will towards the Guardians in any way, shape, or form. Page 16, panel 6, we get Jack seeing the Green Lantern construct of Hal, telling him that he's sorry that he couldn't make the funeral. This is probably going to be bad news for Jack, because it seems that everyone who learns, well, so far it's only been one person, but still, every person who learns Hal's secret identity tends to end up in a coffin. So, taking any bets on how long Jack will live? Hmm. Page 18, panel 6, Kilowog! Woo! We get, I guess, our first modern age introduction. Well, our first introduction to him, you know, after the reboot. And here he's basically going to be taking Hal through all the motions to train him to be a Green Lantern. And what better way to train someone to be a Green Lantern than by having a montage? I think I know just what we need. Yeah, it's a standard comic book, or even standard movie cliche, but it sure as heck is fun. Montages are great. But that's basically it for my notes for this issue. I'm going to take a little break, play another promo for an excellent podcast, and then we'll come back with the next issue, Chapter 5, for Green Lantern Emerald Dawn. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. I'm Batman. This looks like a job for Superman.
Comics Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. All right, with business out of the way, let's go ahead and get on to issue number five. Chapter five of Emerald Dawn was titled The Test. The plot was Keith Giffen, scriptors Gerard Jones, penciler M.D. Bright, anchor Romeo Tangal, letterer Albert Guzman, colorist Anthony Tolan, assistant, assistant editor Kevin Dooley, editor Andy Helfer. The synopsis is, the Corps fights Legion, some lanterns die, the Guardians are aloof, Hal drops Legion in some mud, covering yellow parts of armor, and beats the living <laughs> out of him. Legion tells Hal his sob story, Hal's an idiot and breaks open Legion's armor. Legion is a mass of gray protoplasm that is intent on engulfing Oak. It may seem that I'm being a bit snarky for this part of the episode, but I'm really not. This issue is essentially what Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson over at the Better in the Dark site would term as a punchy-punchy run-run episode. Or issue, I guess. issue so why not? The story is essentially Legion attacking the core, the core running and trying to defend the planet against him, and wash, rinse, repeat until the end. It doesn't mean that it's an uninteresting issue. You know, in fact, it's really interesting, but if I were to describe it to you, it'd be basically the lanterns make a construct. The lanterns build something out of the wall of the cavern. It's not all that interesting, so I just synopsized it in the quickest way possible, and now that I'm rambling at this, it's not really quick at all. So, let's go ahead and get on to the notes page one, we get a really nice splash page of all the lanterns going up against Legion to face him. And let's see if I can name uh, most of them. Uh, we've got Sinestro, Salak, Tomar Ray, Hal, Kilowog, looks like Metaphil, maybe Arcus Chumic, and then a couple others that I don't know. I think they're mentioned throughout the rest of the comic, but offhand, I just really can't place them. You know, with 3,600 of them, technically... Yeah, you can't fault me for not knowing a couple. Page 4, panel 1. You know, that's nice of Hal just standing around looking all shocked while the rest of the Green Lanterns are trying to defend themselves as they've gone in this underground cavern and are cutting away the walls of the cavern. Way to go, Hal. You're truly Earth's greatest hero. Page 6, panel 1. We get one of the Lanterns. It looks like it may be Tomar Ray saying that under pressure... The Metalion Oamite is nearly unbreakable, 
And I guess Oamite is the metal that they're trying to encase Legion in. Hmm. I wonder if Oamite is anything like Dolomite. That fossil was made of Dolomite, the tough black mineral that won't cop out when there's heat all about. I guess you can never be sure. Page 9. As Legion breaks into the meditating chamber where the Guardians are staying, it looks like the Guardians uh, might be on their way to LMV-426. It's eerily reminiscent of the sort of sleep chambers that we get in the Aliens movie. So I'm wondering why the Guardians have to do this kind of cryogenic sleep thing, you know, being the sort of omnipotent overseers of the galaxy. Page 12, panel 6. Okay, a nuclear explosion couldn't stop Legion. The entire Green Lantern Corps can't stop Legion. What in the world is it going to take to stop this being? Mud. Dunking him in mud. Well, I guess it works, you know, because in the next couple of pages, especially pages 15 through 16, Hal pretty much mows over Legion with some really impressive constructs. One is a baseball bat with a sort of pitching trainer where you step on the thing and it shoots the ball up and you can hit it. And Then there's a the typical jackhammer, which Hal uses to break open Legion's armor, or break it down at least, and then there's one that's basically a shticky. Hey, it's Vince Offa here with my new product called the Shticky. You're going to clean your home in a quickie when you use your Shticky. Now, here's the deal. It's a reusable lint roller and more. For furniture, food particles in the cabinets, debris on the stairs, and even use it in the car. And ladies, you always wanted to stick it to your husband. Now you can. Works on all fabrics, from wool to velvet. Problem with that shedding pussy? Pick up cat hairs from clothes. Or no, sadly, it's not the amazing the infomercial offer from Vince. It's it's actually a giant steamroller. But wouldn't it be fun if it actually were the sticky? Yeah. No, I don't think it would be either. Page 17, after Hal basically is defeated Legion, Legion gives his whole spiel about, you know, why he's attacking the Guardians. About he was actually the tick-tick and the remains of them, and... They, Guardians, they encased him in the planet, and they needed to expand, and they expanded too fast, and they depleted all the resources on their home world, and they had an ecological problem, and they had nowhere to go, and blah, blah, blah. It's a big, sad sob story for this race of aliens who, throughout the entire issue, have been trying to destroy the Green Lantern Corps and the Guardians, but now that they're on the ropes, they're going to try and convince you that their motive, their motivation was actually noble. Doesn't work. Page 18, panel 9. After knocking out the mud-covered Legion one more time, Hal decides to see just what's inside of the Legion armor. And maybe Hal shouldn't have done that, because with the sound effect of blorp, we get this giant mass of gray ooze spewing out of the alien armor and just engulfing a bunch of lanterns and pulling him into its maw. And so basically how you unleash the blob on Oa. It's more sad how rookie mistakes. And finally, page 22, as we get this giant blob getting ready to engulf the cities on Oa and the Guardians who are supposedly the most powerful beings in the universe are looking on, and the lanterns asking for what they should do, the guardians say, Such a growth rate for any organism is unprecedented. Yes, yes indeed. 
extremely unprecedented. So, much like any other management, the Guardians, you know, pretty much fail in the face of a crisis. But that's it for issue and or chapter 5. We're going to take another quick break, play a promo for a great podcast, and then we will be back with the final chapter right after this. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You are changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And half mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. With a debate dream, they're the palms in the hands. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You Earthlings can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you. For I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord. Until the Fantastic Four are no more, and the Phantom Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons. King of Kings, Master of Men. Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak. Blind or hulk. Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. I shall sustain him to the disintegration of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Cast, ffcast.libsyn.com. And with the final promo out of the way, let's go ahead and get on to Chapter 6, the final issue of Emerald Dawn. So, the title was, oddly enough, The Dawn. Same guys doing it. Plot was Keith Giffen, script was Gerard Jones, penciler was M.D. Bright, inker was Romeo Tonkal, letterer was Albert Guzman, colorist was Anthony Tolan, assistant editor was Kevin Dooley, and the editor was Andy Helfer. The story opens as Hal and the members of the Corps try desperately to contain the blob-like mass that was the once the alien race, the Tick-Tick. Kilowog orders the Lanterns to dike up the mass in an effort to stop it. Hal now fearing for his life, almost gets engulfed by the Greyus, until Kilowog and the remaining Corps members attempt to lift the Legion off the planet. But, as they pry the slime off the surface, they find that the Legion has burrowed tendrils into the soil of Oa, and is beginning to siphon the green energy from the planet itself. The Lanterns try and cut the tendrils, but they grow back more quickly than the Lanterns can cut them. Frustrated, how wonders where the Guardians are as the Corps fights a losing battle. Well, the Guardians are pulling Anuatu, as in the Watcher, essentially just watching what's going on, and musing that the enemy is too great for the Lanterns to defeat. Their only option to preserve lives and cosmic order is to allow the planet to be engulfed. 
the floaty head of a guardian forms the lanterns to withdraw from Oa. Stunned, Hal asks why the most powerful beings in the universe would abandon this fight, to which the floaty head chides Hal, saying that he only knows a portion of the power that is granted to him by the central battery. Desperate to find a solution, Hal flies into the battery, still afraid, but willing himself to overcome it. As the Legion slime prepares to engulf the central battery, Hal bursts from Lanner, radiating with green energy. He channels the energy burning like a fire inside of him into a giant tornado, which he uses to suck the ooze from the planet. In space, the evacuated lanterns and guardians watch in awe as the Legion entity is sucked into space. While on the surface, Hal strains to rend the last tendrils of the entity from the soil. With a final pull, the Legion shoots off into space as an exhausted Hal falls to the ground. Back in space, Kilowog and Tomar marvel at the neophyte's accomplishment, while the Guardians tell the Corps members to take the biomass back to the planets of, planet of its origin. Puzzled how Hal could have accomplished the feat, they return to the surface to speak with the Collapse Lander. Hal awakens, not remembering what happened, and worried that he is the last surviving Lantern. The Guardians assure Hal that the other Lanterns, on their mission to return the Legion biomass, are fine and they reluctantly decide that Hal should remain the Green Lantern of Sector 2814. As the Lanterns return, the Guardians question if Hal is as bad an influence on the Corps as Abin Sur was. We then cut to a shot of Hal flying through space towards Earth. He still thinks all of this is a dream, but he realizes that this is his new purpose, and he is ready to move forward. After he lands, Hal heads to the local criminal court and enters a plea of guilty on the charges of drunk driving. Meanwhile, some time has passed. Thank you, Michael Bradley and Charlie Niemeyer. And Hal Jordan exits the prison and is picked up by his brother Jack and Jack's girlfriend Dee. Hal wonders if there's anyone who would give a job to an ex-con. And Jack mentions that Carol Ferris wants to hire Hal back. Why, even in a year or so, Hal might be flying actual planes again. Some time has passed. Okay. And Hal Jordan is back behind the stick of a Ferris jet. And in an eerie happenstance, Hal's plane begins to malfunction, just like his father's did from the beginning of the story. On the ground, a worried Carol Ferris races to the runway, while in the sky, Hal prepares to use his ring to stop the accident. But... Hal wants to land the plane by himself, so he abruptly pops open the cockpit and tosses the ring out. In a scene eerily like his father's before him, Hal hard lands the plane. The people on the tarmac cheer as Carol sheds a tear for the brave pilot. But triumph turns to tragedy as, the wit- as they witness the plane erupt in a massive explosion. Thinking the worst, the onlookers turn away. But slowly, out of the smoke walks a lone figure. Hal walks forward, and looking down, spies the green lantern ring that he tossed out of the plane. He bends over to pick it up, musing to himself that no matter where he was, he and the ring would always find each other. I'm 
pretty sure I mentioned this before, either in the previous episode or this episode, that if this was what they did to adapt for the Green Lantern movie, I would have so been on it. This is a really great story, and essentially it did tell the origin that they did in the Green Lantern movie, but they didn't feel the need to hold to the new canon that's been established by Jeff Johns. Now, not that the whole idea of Parallax and the Skittles core is basically a bad one, but I think a simple story with just a bad guy that, you know, who happened to be yellow and could effectively negate all the powers of the Green Lantern would have been an excellent villain for the film, and it wouldn't require the sort of over-the-top storytelling that, you know, I think probably turned off the average viewer. I mean, it's much easier to get the concept of superhero beats up villain rather than superhero beats up fear. But who can really say? I'm not a movie executive and sadly probably won't ever be one. But let's get on with the notes. We'll start on page one. It's an interesting shot of the ooze trying to engulf the planet as the various Green Lanterns are either getting engulfed by it or trying to fight it off. But while all this is going on in the background, we see Sinestro kind of hopping up in the air, doing a sort of, you know, river dance jig, which basically is foreshadowing of the fact that he will become the most evil member of the Green Lantern universe. Page 3, panel 2. This is icky. Not only is it a big mass of gray protoplasmic ooze, but it's got hentai tentacles coming out of it. Yeah, little pink, weird, suctiony tentacles coming out of the ooze. If it wasn't creepy enough, it had to add those in. Page 4, panel 4. Now, this may just be a little nitpick and a coloring error, but uh, as the Green Lanterns are building a sort of wedge to try and pry the Legion out of the planet, the top part of the construct is colored a bright yellow. So, I don't know whether that was just a coloring error or what, but... It is kind of noticeable, you know, especially when yellow is supposed to be such a problem for the Green Lanterns. And again, page 6, panel 1, we get all the buildings on Oa are colored yellow. I mean, this is dickery of a super dickery level. Why are the Guardians basically, you know, hamstringing the Green Lantern Corps by making pretty much every building on the planet of Oa yellow. It makes no sense to me. And page 7, panel 5, we get the central battery being housed in a building that is completely yellow. So essentially, the thing that the Green Lanterns derive their energy from is surrounded by something that will sap or allow them not to use their energy. What the f***, Guardians? Page 19, we get some incredible artwork. Bright and Tankall are really knocking it out of the park here. Hal looks really awesome with the sort of green glow just radiating from his body as he's just completely charged with the emerald energy. It's an awesome splash page. Then we get to page 14, and we have the lanterns, you know, taking the gray ooze that used to be the tick tick back to their home world to sort of repopulate it and reseed it. I guess the Guardians are kind of hoping that from this primordial ooze, something good will come out of it. And 
I don't know. I haven't really read up, but I'm not certain if this is ever touched on anywhere else in the Green Lantern history. Um, doing a quick cursory check of the DC Wikipedia page, it doesn't look like there's anything else done with these characters. So this may just be another plot that DC has dropped and not really cared to pick up again. Page 16, panel 6. Hal finally decides to kind of turn his life around, take responsibility for their actions, and he goes and pleads guilty in court. It's a good thing that nothing bad will ever come of this. Wink. And then on the next page, we get the typical some time has passed. Again, props to Charlie Niemeyer and Michael Bradley. And we see Hal walking out of the prison, being greeted by Dee and Jack. And one of the neat things is, in panel two, the name of the correctional facility is Gardner A. Broom State Correctional Facility. So it's a nice wink and a nod to Gardner Fox and John Broom, who were writers and creators of a lot of the Silver Age Green Lantern stories. Page 22, we get a nice five-panel page as Hal is trying to bring the plane in, and he's pulling up all of uh, pulling up on the stick with all of his might, and he lands the plane, and at the bottom of the page, you could just get this great image of all the people on the ground cheering, and, you know, Carol's there with tears in her eyes, knowing that Hal actually made it, and, you know, she's got feelings for Hal. And then, of course, in the next page, you get the explosion, which is, of course, reminiscent of what happened to Martin in the beginning of the story, and the looks on their faces turn from joy to sorrow, and just a moment's notice, and it's really good artwork. Uh, like I said, Brighton Town Call do a great job in this book. And then finally, we get page 23, panels 1 through 3. It's the sort of iconic shot of Hal slowly walking away from the explosion. Because you know, cool guys don't look at explosions. Nuts to walk away. Yeah. Guys don't look at explosions They blow things up and then walk away Who's got time to watch an explosion? There's cool guy errands that they have to walk to Keep walking, keep shining Don't look back, keep on walking Keep strutting, slow motion The more you ignore it, the cooler you look Yep, Hal is definitely one of those guys who is way too cool to look at explosions. But that basically ends all my notes for the show, ends all my notes for the Emerald Dawn issues. I've got to say I really enjoyed reading this again, well, actually reading this for the first time, and this is the way that I will always imagine the Green Lantern origin story to go. But... Be prepared. Next week, we're going to start with Green Lantern Emerald Dawn 2, where this time around we're going to get to see what happened in those 90 days when Hal was in prison. We're going to get the introduction, this time the actual introduction of Guy Gardner, and we're going to learn why Sinestro basically became the villain that he is. So, be prepared for next Friday, where we're going to hit the ground running with Emerald Dawn 2. So, until then, hope you have a great week, and we'll catch you next Friday. Talk to you then. Bye. 
You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having me fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife no end. All feedback from the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at justoneoftheguys, all one word, dot lipson, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting on. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys Podcast. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you'll find me there, because I don't have an account there. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music for today's podcast was Yellow by Coldplay, off their album Parachutes. If you so desire, you should go to either iTunes and download the song or album there, or if you really want to help out a friend of mine, go to twotruefreaks.lipson.com, click the Amazon.com banner at the top of the page, go to Amazon.com, download the Coldplay song from there. Or, if you actually care about life, why don't you go ahead and use the Amazon.com link at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, search for sporting goods, search for aluminum baseball bats, order one, and when it finally makes it to your home, go ahead and hit yourself in the head with it. It'll be just as fun as listening to Coldplay.